You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. All right, Tommy's here. Aaron's here. It's the podcast on a Thursday. It's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Uh, I had a chance earlier uh, this morning before Tommy got in uh, on his long commute to interview new Maryland football coach Mike Loxley. So you're going to hear that a little bit later on in the show. By the way, yeah, I have discovered a back way where my wheels do not touch interstate highway at all. 270 at all? Not one inch right. of interstate. So you clearly have to. And it may. I made it in an hour. An hour. So you basically end up on Rockville Pike at some point, right? No. Unless he crosses into Virginia. No. No. no I'm, I'm not, look, I'm not telling anybody <laughs> because I don't want the whole well, world. Well, you come on, through Potomac? I'm not saying where it is. You probably come through Potomac. I'm just saying that there's no, back there's no Rockville Barton. Pike. Yeah. Baby, oh, I'm just telling you. I, you know, it took me that way uh, last last Tuesday. It took me that way because there was an accident on 270. Mm-hmm. So I remembered the way it took me, and I went that way today. Even though Waze did not want me to go that way today, they wanted me to get on 270 like a moron, and I didn't. And I I retraced my steps, and it was beautiful. Did you have a fresh baguette in your car to keep you? Company no, on your right end? I had a Wawa soft pretzel. Oh, very good. A Wawa soft pretzel. <laughs> yeah, and I sat in the parking lot for a while and ate the salt off my shirt. <laughs> yeah, you always end up with a lot of calories on your shirt. That's for sure. Uh, look, um, we've got, uh, we got a lot of things to get to. I mean, a lot of stuff has happened since you were last here on Tuesday. A yes. lot of stuff. I mean, you want to get to Bryce Harper and Scott Boris, and you know, it seems like he's got a lot of teams lined up for yeah. old, old Bryce. Yeah, he does. Um, but I did want to start with, um, I didn't see the game last night. You didn't see the game last night. I was actually at my wife's company holiday party, which was very spectacular at the she National Cathedral. She takes you to her office party? Why it, would it, she take it was, you? It, it was very nice. It was very nice. She shouldn't take me. But, no. But I'll tell you what, the food was really good. Um, but... The Wizards, meantime, I'm getting texts from one of my sons who who is really a massive NBA fan and, and, and a Wizards fan. He's like, Dad, you're missing the game of the year. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, the game of the year. Like the Wizards game of the year? No, this is the best game of the NBA season so far. That was an exaggeration. But many people said it was one of the most entertaining games of the year as Kyrie Irving and John Wall went back and forth possession for possession, end of regulation and through overtime before Kyrie Irving hit a 31-foot dagger as Wall looked away, turned his head. Big mistake. I'll get to that uh, in more detail here in a moment. Um, But uh, the Wizards lost 130-125 to in overtime. The Celtics are, after starting slowly, Tommy, they are red hot. They've now won, I think, seven in a row. And the Wizards have now lost three. In a row, they're eleven and seventeen, aren't they? They are eleven and seventeen. They're eleven and seventeen. This is all you need to know about the situation of the Washington Wizards. How pathetic! How despicable! How disgusting! This isn't going to be a compliment. It is, and and I, I heard this, and and uh, I went back and reviewed it, and I I heard it from numerous people that at the end of the game, the crowd 
was chanting MVP. Yeah. But for Kyrie Irving. Yes. Because there were so many Celtic fans. There always are Celtic fans. I know that. In Washington. I know that. But in a game like that, you've got them cheering MVP for the opposing player. You can't just dismiss that. That's embarrassing. It's always, I, I know it's embarrassing, and I know, I'm glad John Wall didn't say anything about that after the game. I don't think he's in position to say that uh, or rip the fans um, and, and the crowds at, at Capital One, but it's, I don't even know what to say about that anymore. It's what this town is almost everywhere except for a couple of places. Caps games used to be that way. With certain opponents, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, but not the for Rangers, a long time. but it hasn't been the, that way for a long time. Um, but for Redskins games and for uh, Wizards games, and you've gotten that at Nats games before. Oh yeah, you have. You know, I remember the Cubs series. I mean, there were games in the in that postseason yes. series where it seemed like they were being played at Wrigley Field. Yes, that's true. You have, but but the point is, Cap Cap One Arena is 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 empty, and when it's not empty. The opposing it's team actually, show Tommy. Up. You know what it is? It is interesting because I go to Wizards games. It's rarely empty. That place is not. You know it, that people show up for Wizards games. I don't know what their average attendance is. And look, I'm speaking from the perspective of of the four or five, six games that I usually go to. They are good opponents. Yes. You know, I'm Marquee trying to games. go. Like this year, I went to the OKC game early on. Um, that may be the only game I've been to this year. Uh, I may go to the Laker game on Sunday, uh, but the the crowds are usually pretty good for Wizards games over the last several years. I I, I think you're wrong about that. I I've not been in that building when it's been empty. There have been times where I've been in that building at the beginning of a game for a seven o'clock tip where it is really you know sparse. But by the time you get to the second quarter, it's filled in. I think I think that, but I get your point. They're, they're, the opponent fan bases, you know, tend to help. I, I wanted to say this though because I, I didn't watch the game live, but I, I saw a lot of the highlights. John Wall, first of all, he was he was actually amazing down the stretch, just willing his way to the rim. You know, sometimes when he gets that head of you know head of steam going forward, oh yeah, it's really like impossible to stop him from getting to where he wants to go, but. He, he isn't Kyrie Irving, okay? Kyrie Irving can sit out from 30 feet, a couple of dribbles between his legs, a, a quick hard dribble as if he's going to go by you to get you to back up, and boom, you know, drop the 30-foot, the you know, three-pointer, you know, on you. John Wall can't do that. That's not, that's why, that's the limitation of his game is his, his shooting ability, his long-range shooting ability. But one of the things he has done over the years, and in recent years in particular, is he turns his head on defense all the time looking for where the screen is coming from. In that particular situation last night, it's 125-125. There are 18 seconds left in overtime. Kyrie Irving is in range when he crosses half court. You've got to know that about a few players in the league. Right. Steph. You know, Clay Thompson, Kyrie Irving, you know, Damian Lillard, all the guys that can, will and and absolutely, you know, have justification for pulling from 30 feet, you know, in a big spot like that. So you got to know that he's capable of pulling that shot from there. And John always turns his head. He does it all the time looking for a screen. It's almost like this habit. Tommy, defense, let me just tell you something that any coach will tell you. 
one of the most important things on defense is to talk. Talk on defense. Communicate on but defense. Kevin, Kevin, look. And you, he should be getting that information from a teammate, whoever is coming up to set the ball screen on John, whoever's man that is, is supposed to communicate that to John so he doesn't have to turn his head. Once he turned his head, Kyrie Irving's like, you're really going to turn your head defensively on me? Boom! From 31 feet. Game but, over. It but, wasn't game over because they were only up three. But Don't you have to have a certain level of instinct as to where that that screen is coming from, yeah, I mean you. you I mean you really. You, I mean you really shouldn't be looking for it. Well, here's look. You have you have peripheral vision yes. that can tell you where it's coming from. You've got defensive teammates, teammates that should be communicating to you where it's coming from. By the way, it never came. Yeah. You should never turn your head defensively. No, uh, there's never a certain level turn your of head defensively like that, that. He should have at this point. As to how to play those screens, he does it all and it the shouldn't time. be looking for it. Does it all the time. Uh, one. By the way, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, Have we spent too much time on the Wizards. Is no, that what you're going to tell me to do? No, Move no, on. no. The Wizards. There's 30 teams in the NBA. The Wizards are 19th in attendance. They average 16,700 a game. That's an 82 percent uh, capacity for the arena. That's one of the lowest in the NBA. There's only five teams that have a worse percentage. Okay, but it's not empty. It's 82% full. There you go. You said empty. There you go. What was it last year? Do you have the numbers for, for no, last I, year? No, I'd is have that to just look. The, is that just Kevin, this year? I, I, think, I think we just ended the conversation. <laughs> no, we didn't. I'm curious did. as to what it was last year. I don't year. even care what it was last okay. year. Whatever. Because uh, I think I think this conversation just – it just you know what? Yeah. Kyrie Irving just said this conversation is over. <laughs> one, one more thing, though, um, because it's just – it's almost over. It's almost over. The Wizards always play up to a good opponent, don't they? Like it's like John and Bradley Beal are like, oh, we're going to show them what kind of backcourt we are tonight. Yeah, but they always t- tend to fall short. Yeah, they always tend to fall short. Uh, the, it, whether it's a great opponent or whether it's a lousy team on a back-to-back with only eight players on the on on the roster, they tend to fall short in those games too. One more thing, because we're almost over with this. Con- we're almost ending this conversation. Um. Talked to somebody recently who said, you know, the Wizards, when they offer Bradley Beal, almost every team in the league is interested. It's just getting the right deal. When they offer Otto Porter, some teams are interested. When they talk about John Wall, nobody's interested. Oh, yeah. The knees and the contract, it's going to be really it's going to be really hard to deal him He's got a for reputation. anything of true value for him. So I don't. The, the the trade rumor thing is quieted a little bit. There was something yesterday or the day before about Miami being interested in Wall and something I, the other day about... Can I, think, I offer a trade rumor? Yes. They're going to trade Oubre before the trading deadline. Kelly Oubre is going to get dealt. Uh, and and if anyone else gets dealt, it'll be Beal at the deadline. Um, Kelly Oubre can play, man. Yeah, but he's a clown. You can't count on him. He'll do a stupid thing. With with a, a less than a minute left in the game, that'll cost you a game at some point. He's an immature clown. I promise. Just one more quick NBA thing for the few that care. Uh, last night, I did get home in time to watch Toronto Golden State. Tommy Toronto went to Golden State with no Kawhi Leonard and destroyed the Warriors. I know. I I, I did follow that. Uh, Kyle Lowry has been playing great this year. They're my pick, and when they tr- and when they got Kawhi Leonard, they were my pick more so than Boston. They're my pick to be in the NBA Finals. Um, 
All right. Uh, I know there are a couple of things that uh, we talked about briefly yesterday, a couple of more that we talked about in more detail. Um, one of them is the Mason Foster, you know, direct messaging with this guy on social media. Um, I know you have followed the story, but Jay Gruden was asked about it in his press conference yesterday. I think John Kime asked him. And he said, quote, we talked to Mason about it. I don't know when it was exactly, but it was a private message. The guy, I guess, screenshotted it, uh, which is, I guess, against the code of private messages yes, on screenshots. The, 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 the long, the long handed down <laughs> code of Twitter. I know what Mason is. I know what he means to this football team, what he's meant to this football team. And anything he said in a personal message was personal. And I really don't take anything from it. I do, however, disagree with that guy posting a private message out on social media. He broke a code that I don't agree with. As far as Mason, I have nothing but respect for him as a person and a player. You know what's amazing? How many people in the media were willing to do the dirty work for the Redskins organization? And what do you say, mean? I, and, and I, say, I don't know what you're saying. And say, yeah. The guy who posted this, he's the bad guy. Who in the media said that, that, well, that he was the bad guy? Well, there were some people on the station where I work. Really? Who, who basically said that. Who said their biggest problem was with the guy who posted the message. You know? I mean, I mean, you might have, I mean, you're, you're doing the work of the Redskins PR. You're doing Jay Gruden's work if you, if you carry that ball. I mean, come on. Look, I'm not, I'm not condoning what the guy did. He, he might be a weasel. But there's no code on Twitter and social media. What kind of more? You know, Jay Gruden wouldn't know Twitter. I know, if, I know. If, if, if Somebody it, told him to say that, yeah. clearly. So there, there's, That was not an original uh, Jay no, thought. There's no code. Yeah, some fan may, may no, have. No, it was somebody in the organization said, hey, you, you, can't, you can't blame Mason for this. This was a private conversation. When you're direct messaging on social media with someone, someone you don't know, you're an idiot if you don't think there's a possibility that thing will be public, be I made mean, public. And why wouldn't, I mean, I, why wouldn't Jay Gruden address what Mason Foster said? Mason Foster said, basically, the coaches stink, the team stinks, the fans stink, everything stinks, and he's a, he's a team captain. He's an enabler, Jay. I mean, seriously, how can anyone in that building out there that think bringing Jay Gruden back is a good idea? It's not about this thing. It's about all the other things. But here's the thing. It's like what you just said, all right, is true. Also, the judgment used by Mason Foster would make me say, are you an idiot? Like, is this is this is this a close friend or a relative? You're calling my defensive plays for me on the field. If it if it is you're exactly, the guy. If it isn't, how could you possibly think that this guy on social media direct messaging? Okay, maybe there's a, a, a built-in sort of expectation that it's private, but you can't with somebody that you barely know think that there's not a possibility of this happening. But more importantly. The fact that he thought it was private means that he was really being honest yes. about the way he yes. felt. So it's like, hey, Jay, you know, it. He and he may not have intended for that thing to become public, but don't you realize that it's the way he feels? All right, you hit it right there. Kevin. I mean, what a dumpster fire this thing is turning into, and. I seriously, based on the judgment he used and based on understanding that this is probably how he really feels, and I would add that he's not very good 
Okay, he's okay. I'd cut him. I if I'm Jay Gruden, enough of this stuff. You're yeah, either but- with us or against us. And if you're against us, I can lose and go six and seven with somebody better than you. Yes, absolutely. Actually, the guy who should you know what? Here's a situation where I'd be all in favor of the owner saying, I'm not paying that guy anymore. I want him gone. I want him gone. <laughs> well, then, then, of course, he'd say, well, the owner told me to, to do it. Well, no, still, I, I, you know what? I'd have a little bit more respect. Uh, it's just, it, it, this is like the end of every season around here. That, that's that's the thing. You know, Mike Florio on Pro Football Talk basically wrote about what Jay Gruden's response was, and his headline was that Gruden basically glossed over it because he's got so much other crap he's dealing well, with. You know what? It's a fair point. Yes! If Jay said to John Kime, John, do you know how much other shit I'm dealing with right now? Do you think I have any time to worry about what Mason Foster said I mean, about that, us? That's the remarkable I mean, thing. I know. I, this is, I mean, this is... Look, it's true. You know what? Let me tell a brief story real quick. My In my last year at Scranton, uh, University of Scranton, one of the colleges I bounced around to, <laughs> Uh, and I wanted to get out quick because I was going to get married, but I was I was short a lot of credits, you know. So I wound up taking twenty five credits my last semester. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> you're not capable no, of, no. of doing twenty five credits without it being like, hey, do you have an internship no, no, you can give me twenty five no. credits for? No, I took twenty five credits my last semester, and here's what and and two weeks before the semester was, Who was over, teaching Michael Scott. Two weeks before the semester was over, the dean's office calls me up and said, we want to see you. And they call me in and they said, we just got to look at your schedule. Because I had two classes where I had other classes at the same time. (laughs) In other words, I was supposed to be in two different places at at once. Right. How did that work out for you? So uh, basically they wanted to, they weren't, you know, and here's the thing. They looked at my cum and it was the best it ever was. I had a three point three that semester. Yeah, that's the highest so I ever had. So how they many people know, did you have to pay? No, I didn't have to pay anybody. They wanted to know how I did it. I I told them I turned in fifty five change and add sheets in the week that you could change and add classes. Figuring by the time the paperwork got caught up, there was so much to deal with. I'd be well into the semester, and they couldn't be able to do anything. That's what's going on at Redskins Park. There's so much Who cares what's happening at Redskins Park? (laughs) How did you pass all of those classes that were at the same time? 3.3, baby. (laughs) The highest cube I had at University of Scranton with 25 credits. You you always figure out a way, don't you? You You always have a path. To victory. But there's so many chain sheets going back and forth yeah, at Redskins I mean, Park. They can't keep track I mean, it was, of and, all the dysfunction. And let's face it, this wasn't Yale. It was the University of Scranton. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Jesuit school, baby. Oh, God. So, so yeah, I mean, like, Jay, just to scoff this off and for nobody to respond. I tell you what, they lay an egg against – well, I won't be there in Jacksonville. <laughs> they'll, they'll be on the road. But if anyone has any guts – in that press corps, if they lay another egg against Jacksonville like they did against the Giants, somebody needs to bring this up again in a post-game press conference. Jay, you've got players on your team, n- numerous players who have who are who are voicing their issues with with the coaching staff. What's the problem here? I I I said the other day, if if Redskins Park was DM was the DMV 
and you wanted to get on the short line for service, you get on the line of players who think the coaches are doing a good job <laughs> at Redskins yeah, Park. Right. Uh, that's the line you'd want to be in. Look, you know, part of this too, if you start, I think a lot of people don't even care about this right now. I'm not saying that they don't well, care about you and I is, talking about part it. Part of it is fatigue, but it's, Kevin. Well, it's, you, it's always fatigue at the end of, of Redskins seasons. Yeah. But to pinpoint what's going on right now, there's a major issue defensively. You know, and there's a lack of leadership clearly from Greg Minuski and Jay Gruden as the head coach of this team. Yes, but, the CEO of the of the football team. But yeah. your your star players, if you even consider them, they're not playing well. They're getting absolutely shredded week in and week out. This was supposed to be the strength of the team. Your your stars who are total posers are woofing now. You know, whether it's Zach Brown or DJ Swearinger a few weeks ago. I guess we're not really hearing that much from Josh Norman. Um it, this is going to be an off season that really I've I've been saying it for a couple of weeks now. It better be a total reboot. And by the way, from a personal personnel standpoint, you keep your young talented players, but now is the time to start dealing for picks, the Kerrigans, the Jordan Reeds, the Trent Williamses of the world. Now is the time to get and extract value back for those those players while you can. I don't even know what Jordan Reed's value is anymore. And get picks, and you start building with – you have a good young nucleus on defense with Allen and Payne and Ioannidis. You do. Um, and I think – I also think they should re-sign Preston Smith personally. But it's – it's it's we're here every year. Yeah, we're here every year. Yeah. And I, t- you missed this yesterday, but I think I told you I was going to do it. Um, I ranked the um, I ranked the rock bottoms. You know, all of the Snyder era rock bottoms. There's got to be at least a half dozen. There are seven of them. Okay. There's seven that I came up with. I mean, somebody may add one or two to them, but it's the moments in which, I mean, how many times did we do this show? Yes. This is rock bottom right yeah, here. How could it get any worse? How could it get any worse? Yeah. But you know what? It's going to get worse. There'll be another one down the road, more likely than not. But I really believe that right now is the worst it's ever been. I think the the erosion, the acceleration of the eroding fan base is, you you can see it, you can feel it. It's tangible in terms of the, the well, attendance and, every, and television every numbers. Every time you go through this, I've always maintained this. You take a little bit out of, of the fan base. You do a little bit of but damage. More has, so, yeah, I know more that, but, has gone this but, year. But you're not just seeing what go, what's going on this year. You're seeing the cumulative effect of these of the six other rock bottoms that they've had to live through. That in other words, like listen, uh, I, the, I, I understand the what you're Spurrier, saying. The uh, Spurrier rock bottom was pretty bad. And, and then they pulled out. I mean, let's remember how bad it was because we were so elated that they pulled Joe Gibbs out of a hat because we didn't think Snyder had any moves at that point. So, and but but at that point, Snyder was only what four years into his ownership. Five, yeah, yeah. So, but now to go to, I mean, we've been through five or six others since then. I mean, it's just the cumulative effect. It, it, there's a fatigue. There's a weariness. There's a there's a sense of of feeling like you got to put a bag on your head when you go to a family of function because people know you're a Redskins fan. <laughs> I am, um, you know, in thinking about those those moments, because you just mentioned the Spurrier thing. The Spurrier thing, I can just tell you as a fan of this team, I was so angry when he fired Marty Schottenheimer. 
I thought it was the dumb thing to do. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the truth of the matter is in 2001, 2002, even 2003, although I think it was the first one, you weren't totally sure how bad of an owner he no, was you at that point. It, it was early in his time. I mean, you knew he was making mistakes, but there were mistakes. Remember how they would get couched? Yeah, but he really wants to win. Look at how much money he'll spend. It was um, pretty bad, though. I mean, remember, Marty Schottenheimer the... said he wouldn't work for him, and then he wound up working and then for he, him. And then he wound up working for him. Yeah. But the end of the Spurrier season was the – was. Wow, he is driving this thing into yeah. the ground, and then he came up with the miracle yeah. solution yeah. that made everybody forget about the oh, first five years. Absolutely. I mean, of all of the rabbits he's pulled out of his hat, that is the all-time rabbit. Yes. Because Spurrier, for some people, Spurrier was a rabbit. Yes, I, they were. I, I never thought that it, I, it was I great. thought it was a massive mistake to, yeah. to move on from Marty. Um, but, you know, Shanahan was a rabbit. Yes, he was. Shanahan was a rabbit. A two-time Super Bowl winning coach. You know who was a rabbit? In the moment, Bruce Allen. Yes, because he had he had a level of credibility. Right. And he was replacing a guy who was the opposite of credibility. You know who else was a rabbit? Who? Scott McLuhan. Yes, he was. <laughs> Yes, he Maybe was. that's the next segment. <laughs> let's let's list let's rank the rabbits. Rank the rabbits. Gibbs is number one of all time. I mean, he made everybody in town think that he was the greatest thing ever to bring to be able to bring Joe Gibbs back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Gibbs throughout his whole time, and since then, to his credit, whether it's his credit or not, but uh, it just shows you like what a what a stand up guy Joe Gibbs is. And maybe he made, he made a lot of money from it as a result. He's never thrown Dan Snyder under the bus. Not not once. once. Not once. Yes. But don't you think that he knows what oh, the problem is? He's got to. <laughs> he has I to. mean, Joe Gibbs is a decent human being. A decent human being, and and much smarter than most people think when it comes to to winning and in building organizations. Yes. Look at what he's done. I know. He has to know. But he's, think, ne- he's not 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 a flicker. Never, no, has which, not wavered on Snyder remarkable. once. And, and look, even if he's profited Publicly. from Dan Snyder's relationship with him, he probably st- has. I'm sure he has. But still, at some point, you I mean, beyond think, the contract, how, value, yeah, I'm how can he buy? How can he? How can he not say something at some point? But he hasn't. Who, he's he's told somebody. Oh, I'm, I'm, I mean, come on. I'll bet he has told somebody along the way. Oh. God, yeah. they're never going to win with if he owns the team. Seriously, I mean, Joe would know more than anybody else how how bad this is and how little chance they have if he doesn't have some sort of epiphany about how to run an organization. Do you remember Joe was uh, in one of the bidding groups to buy the Redskins with a, a car a car dealer magnet from uh, from Arizona? Sam, somebody, Gibbs was one of the bidders uh, to buy the Redskins when after during after you know when they were up for sale. I d- I don't remember. Yeah, that. he was. He was part of one of the groups. Yeah, but he wasn't. He wouldn't have been no, a financial he, investor. He, he, he was. He would have just been a, a small equity. Yeah, you know, yeah. He was the name of of some very rich. Not Milstein. S- no, no, no. Southwestern businessman. Hmm. Uh, I, I remember sort of the Southwestern businessman. I'm going to find that name here in a moment, but I don't remember. His name is Sam something or another. I, the, the, the thing slips slips me. Can I throw in something while yeah. uh, to veer off for a second while you're looking that up? Yep. 
Uh, I'm at uh, Shelly's back room last night uh, after I do chat show, which I usually you know wind up doing to let traffic out to have dinner and a smoke and stuff. And I'm talking to a friend of mine down there who's a big Cowboys fan and uh, a smart Cowboys fan. And I put this out on Twitter because it all of a sudden it hit me that the special hell that this guy is in and probably other Cowboys fans like him, he can't stand his head coach, Jason Garrett. He would like nothing more than for Jason Garrett to be fired. He can't stand his quarterback, Dak Prescott. He would like nothing more for them to get out of the Dak Prescott business. With every game the Cowboys win, that coach and that quarterback is going to be there longer and longer. So this guy is in a special kind of hell where the more success his team has, the worse it is for him because he can't stand the coach and he can't stand his quarterback. And I know a lot of Cowboys fans like that. So they're in their own special hell. Not quite Redskins hell, but they're uh, their own special hell. You know, Tommy, I would take right now as a Redskin fan, Jerry, Steven, their personnel guy, Will McClay, uh, Dak, Zeke. I don't know if I want Jason Garrett. <laughs> I don't know if I can do Jason Garrett. <laughs> but... Their situation is infinitely better than the Redskins I, situation. I, I know right that. Now. I know and, that. And but, but but you have to admit, that's a special kind of hell when your team is having success and it's driving you crazy because I, it means they're going to keep the two most important guys that you can't stand. I, I, I get that. But, God, you know, I was having a conversation with Clay, actually, yesterday, yesterday or the day before. Cowboy Clay. Um, and I said to him, I said, you know, the difference between this team that you have and some of the other teams, not a lot of them because they haven't had very many of them, but, you know, the team that lost at Lambeau a few years ago after winning a playoff game against the Lions, um, Dak's rookie year. Yeah. And, and the team a few years back before that that won the division and lost to the Giants in the first round. I'm like, the big difference is you got a defense. Like, they have a really good defensive football team. And by the way, Sean Lee's coming back this week. David Irving's coming back this week. I think Tavon Austin, um, Aaron, is due to come back for them offensively. I, I know. You you it's can Tavon stop at it, it is, but it's another, perhaps he's better with them now with Amari Cooper on the field. But you know what, Tommy? They're a damn good football team. Like, I think they could go. they could definitely go to Los Angeles and win. They could go to Chicago and win. They won't have to go to Chicago and win. They'll host a first-round game as the division winner, and then they'll go to either L.A. or New Orleans, depending on where their seating is. Unless they host Chicago in the NFC or go to Chicago in the NFC Championship and, game. You know what? Right now in the NFC, the two best defensive teams are Chicago and Dallas. Okay, yep. Kevin, here's what you're forgetting. And I would think that at this point, you would take when I invoke these words as gospel. Okay? Okay. The Cowboys, like the Redskins have the aura of self-destruction. They will find a way to screw themselves up. Guaranteed. They may not have the level of self-destruction that the Redskins do, but they have it. And and at this point, having witnessed enough of it here with this team to know that I speak the truth about that, the Cowboys have it too. They're, they're, they are definitely dysfunctional. They yes. are. But I think their dysfunction is actually... Um, 
a little bit less. Well, that's why here. they only got a $10 million salary cap penalty, and the Redskins got a $36 million Sam Gro- salary Sam cap Sam Grossman. Penalty. There you go. Sam Grossman was a Phoenix real estate guy. A real estate he, guy. He owns the Biltmore in Arizona. So he's it, got some bucks. And he had Redskins coach Joe Gibbs as part of his bidding What a group. mind, huh? That's really good. Pretty good, buddy. Howard Milstein, um, we remember him because he was Snyder. close. He was with Dan Snyder's partner. He was. Uh, it, it was It was the Milstein-Snyder, uh, you know, they called uh, Snyder uh, from Snyder Communications an upstart marketing and advertising conglomerate. Um David Bonderman, a Texas buyout uh, hedge fund guy. There were, uh, there were the Chuck, Scott- Chuck Dolan. Did you know that he was one of the potential Red or was a Redskins bidder? I didn't know that. There were the Scotty brothers. There was Ben and this other guy. Ben Scotty, I think, played uh, football for the for the Eagles mm-hmm. uh, back in the early '60s, and him and his brother became big time Hollywood producers. I think they were bidders uh, at, at one point. Now, on this list, I'm reading an article from a 1999 story uh, in Forbes. Uh, Ted Fortsman, who, um, I don't know who he was. Peter Angelos expressed interest. You, know, you know who else? Ted Lerner. The Learners did. The Learners well, did. Well, you yeah. know what happened there, right? I've heard this story. You've probably heard it, too. Well, run it by me. Well, so Snyder and it's, the Snyder Group ended up paying $800 million. Yes. They, uh, they the, had to dump. I mean, they, the NFL, the NFL didn't want Milstein, but went to Snyder right. and said, "You know, you come up with the money, we like you." God only knows what kind of <laughs> drugs they were on that day. Um, the uh, the the learners in their effort to pencil it out, and they pencil everything out. Yes, I they mean do. everything to the penny. Couldn't see how it was worth more than seven hundred million dollars. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That's, I've heard that story many wow. times about how Ted and his financial people, they wanted to buy the Redskins, and he just didn't think they were worth any more than $700 million, so they bowed out at $700 million because they couldn't pencil it out. They couldn't figure out how they would make money. Uh, it's worth $4 billion now. Yes. Yeah. You know, they all, I've also heard the story, and I don't know if this one's true, that they almost got to that point with the Nationals. That Ted was sitting there, that you know, the, the learn, learners and their financial people were hemming and hawing over price, and and they had it down to the penny, Tommy. And they're like, "Well, it's not worth more than this." And then somebody came in and said, "Are you going to make the same mistake with this that you made with the Redskins? Because they've been pay the extra fifty, seventy-five million, whatever yeah, the difference it was, was. It was four hundred fifty million fine. dollars, four fifty, exactly. Four fifty million. And I think they didn't think it was worth more than four hundred. Wow, that's interesting. And you know what else? People don't remember that when when the Orioles were sold to Edward Bennett Williams, the learners were bidders for the Orioles then, too. I didn't know that. So they've been trying to buy a a sports team for like 30 years, Uh, and it would have been ridiculous for them to let the Nationals go. Here's a question for Ted Lerner or Mark Lerner, and you're going to answer it for them. If they had the choice right now of owning the Redskins or the Nationals and they could pick either one, which team would they want to own? Wow, that's that's interesting. Uh, I'm thinking the football team. Yeah, I do. I, I think mean, so too. I think the football team. I mean, uh, you know, w- without Dan Snyder involved. No, I'm saying <laughs> yeah. they would own it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the football team. It's worth more. It's it's worth more, <laughs> and you know, you, the the next if there were ever a next owner in our li- lifetime, probably isn't going to be one, and it's probably going to stay in his family and go to his son, right? I would think. That Dan Snyder eventually has plans for his son one day to own the team when he's long gone. 
I wouldn't count on anything. I wouldn't count on anything? No? <laughs> no. Do you think he's going to sell it? Well, what what did the guy do who owned it before Snyder? That was that was really unfortunate for yes. everybody, as it turns out. So, I mean... Nah, I, in this day and age, I mean, you've already seen that mistake made. I mean, unless, for whatever reason, he didn't want that. But, I mean, we're talking... Look, we're talking about 30 years from now. I know. You know, that's what's... But that's that's why people listen to this podcast, because we're visionaries. I, how did Jack Kent Cook not set it up so that that team was willed to his son easily without all of the, the expenses associated with it? I don't know how somebody with that kind of money at that level could screw it up so badly unless it was intentional. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to think that. I mean, look, I know we, we, we canonized Jack Kent Cook, but he, he was... He was he was a nasty guy. I know. He was a nasty guy. He but may- you know what you know what else he was? What? A really good sports owner. <laughs> yes, he was. He was a really good sports owner. Yes, um, he was. And had been a sports owner since he owned the, the, the Toronto yeah. actually the Toronto Maple Leafs triple A baseball team back in the fifties. And then eventually the Lakers, and he was the guy that put up the money for the first Ali Frazier. Yes, fight. the five million dollars. Was it five or that three? Five million dollars yeah. that they split. Between between the, he the, was the a two he was a sport well he was a visionary but he was a sports visionary in particular he yes. saw where this was going. Um, Window Nation uh, sees everything. They've got great vision, uh, and thanks to Harley, Aaron, and Eric for supporting the podcast. I've had Window Nation windows installed in my home twice over the last decade, and I promise you that you won't go wrong if you give them a chance. Right now, Window Nation is offering their triple zero sale: zero down payment, zero payments, and zero interest until 2020. But that's not all. Window Nation's triple zero sale is a triple deal. You also get $200 off every window, any size, any style, and with a whole house order of windows, Window Nation will pay your heating bill until the new windows are installed. You'll save hundreds, even thousands of dollars now. And who knows how much more with energy savings and higher home value for years to come. Window Nation windows give the greatest gift, an inviting, warm, cozy, comfortable home. So visit windownation.com today for the triple zero sale. Zero down payment, zero payments, and 0% interest for 12 months and $200 off each window, no minimum purchase required. Plus, Window Nation will pay your heating bill until the new windows are installed. Save today, save tomorrow. Tomorrow, save forever, 866-90-NATION, or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION, or shop windownation.com. Tell them that I told you to call. Okay. By the way, I went back and looked at the Wizards' attendance last year. Uh, they were 20th in the league last really? year. And their percentage of capacity was 83%. So, so 1% was, higher this yeah, year? Yeah, except that was next to last in the league. All right. So. Uh, you know what? Here's the deal. When I go to games, well, then people come to see you. No, obviously, no, it's just that I usually don't go to. Like, I'm not going to go see him play Cleveland this year. <laughs> it's not the game that I'm, I'm typically going to go to. Um, and so the game, like last year, I think I went to the. You know, you know what team I have not missed at Capital One Verizon Center. For six years, I've gone to every OKC game because I'm really? such a Westbrook fan. Um, you know, I saw Cleveland last year. I saw Boston last year. 
I saw San Antonio last year. I didn't see Golden State. I did go. I did go to the Golden State game last year. Was last year the game where Durant got hurt, or was that two years ago? Now, probably two years ago. You were there. I was there. Was I there with you? No. I, I don't go to Wizards games. Remember? <laughs> I can't believe I forgot that. How could you forget? Yeah, that? you don't go to Wizards games. Um, but I was there for the game that Durant got well, hurt. Well, then you would know. Yeah, yeah. But I think that was two years ago. Whatever. I don't care about the crowds at Wizards games. I just think every time I've been there, it's been a much better crowd than I obviously, thought it would be. Obviously, I'm glad people... you looked up the information. You got me that information, and I got you Sam Grossman yes. from Arizona today. Yes. It's a complimentary broadcast today. <laughs> I, I heard um, I, I was listening to Kirk Cousins basically take the fall for DiFilippo uh, in a press conference yesterday, and he said, we're, we're, we're not holding up our end of the bargain. We're not playing complimentary football. And that's like the new term du jour. If you listen to football guys and coaches playing complimentary football, just means you're good on offense, you're good on defense, <laughs> you're good on special teams. Uh, anyway, um, so Johnny Holiday is leaving Masson. Yeah, I saw as that. The, as, uh, he's been doing this for a long period of time. And the reaction on, on social media was what it should be. I mean, Johnny is a legend in this town. He's an iconic broadcaster uh, in this town. But the one thing that occurred to me is, uh, you know, I don't think of Johnny when when I think of when I don't when I think of Johnny, I don't think of Johnny as the Masson pre and post game host for Nats games. Well, that's because his his presence as the voice of Maryland is so overwhelming. Since 1979. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's his... Look, uh, Johnny Holiday has had multiple careers wrapped into one life. I mean, he was the top disc jockey in the entire country. I know. At a time where disc jockeys ruled the airwaves back in the 60s. He introduced the Beatles, I think, in their last concert at Candlestick Park. Uh, I mean, he's, uh, look, he's just, he was had, an athlete too. Oh yeah. Johnny was an athlete. He threw a no hitter as a pitcher right. in high school was the starting quarterback and organized these charity basketball teams around here. And one time played basketball out, out there, I think with Rick Barry on one of his charity, uh, teams. Uh, he, he's had a remarkable life, but yeah, his identity, uh, for in sports in this area is with Maryland. I've been, I've enjoyed him over the years with Ray Knight. I really have. I think I, I think they've done a great job. But when Johnny, first of all, he isn't going to call it quits anytime soon at Maryland. I, I Johnny, st- when you see Johnny, Johnny still looks like he's forty five years old. You know, forty years old. He looks great. He's got the Dick Clark thing going on. Yes, where he does. He just looks always so good. Um, for his age, and but w- if he were, you know, way down the road to call it call it quits at Maryland, that would be the story. Yeah, because no one has done what he's done at Maryland longer than Johnny's done it. Johnny has been there coming up on forty I years. Know. I know as the play by play voice for Maryland football and Maryland basketball. I mean, truly one of those college legend announcers. You only get them really in college, don't you? I, I no, that's not true. You get them in baseball. You get yeah. them in baseball. Yeah, but you don't. Who were the legendary well, NFL radio voices? Well, I mean, lo- locally, I think you get them locally. Herz- Herzog was. Yeah, yeah, Sonny. Yeah, I'm talking about play uh, by play. Play by play. Locally, I think you get them in local markets. I I I, I think you get them. 
who was the guy in Pittsburgh who did football? Uh, yeah. Myron Cope. Myron Cope was Myron an analyst. Cope. Yeah. Well, I thought he was a play-by-play guy. No, Myron, uh, Myron Cope, I'm pretty sure, was um, – I am pre- I believe that he was uh, okay, maybe the analyst. Was. You, you might be right about that, but he had that incredible, distinct Western PA yeah. you know, accent and was in, you know, theatrical Do you know, as an announcer. Uh, when I had my first knee replacement surgery, the only person who came to the hospital to see me was Johnny Holiday. Really? Yes. Well, you told me not to come. No, that's not true. That is true. That's not true. You I, just you just refused to come. I called you and you said no. You don't. Yeah, you yeah, don't that's come. True. That's true. But Johnny stopped by to see me in the hospital. You're I trying to make so, me feel badly. I, yeah. <laughs> I was so touched by that. That is very nice. Yeah. You know that is really really nice. Yeah. Um, and I always enjoy talking to him because I'm a big. I'm a big disc jockey radio buff. I, I love talking about those days. I, he used to work with Murray Decay, who was a legendary disc jockey in New York. And that's what I really like talking to Johnny about. It's about music and, 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 and music radio back in the 60s. Do you uh, see the Hall of Fame inductees for this year? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No. Finally, The Cure... Should have been in a long time ago. They're into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and Radiohead went in, which I don't have a problem with either. Uh, the, the, these aren't your bands. Def Leppard went in. I, you're looking at me. Like, I bet Tom's a Stevie Nicks guy. Stevie Nicks is into the Hall of Fame. I mean, as a solo artist, okay. I mean, uh, you know, Landslide's a pretty iconic song. It is, but that's a Fleetwood Mac song. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure. No, it's definitely Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, I'm not particularly impressed. so. Uh, the, the reason I brought up the uh, the broadcasting thing is a bunch of people were doing their Mount Rushmore of local broadcasters. I think it's an easy list. Yeah, for, for it, I think it is. Like two of them are very easy: George Michael, Glenn and Brenner, Glenn George Brenner. Michael, and then I think Warner Wolf is on that list. Warner was the first. What are you What are you looking at me like that for? I don't. Why? Know. Because it's too long ago. Yeah. Really? I think so. Tommy, Warner Wolf was the most popular broadcaster. Sports, weather, news didn't matter in this city okay, I know, I for know that. over a decade. Plus, I had he was him the play as a guest voice on my the... podcast. I know who he was. I know all about him. You, okay. don't, think, you don't think So Warner who's the fourth? Ro- well, to me, Johnny is the fourth. But I feel the, the only thing I would say is that Rich Schwatkin's been doing games almost as long as Johnny, if not longer. I forget how long, but... Johnny, for me, being a Maryland guy, Johnny would be number four. Okay, that's that's fine. Warner, Warner, Glenn Brenner, George uh, Michael, George Michael, and Johnny. I I, I can see that. I'll, I'll, let's carve that out. Why? What, what is your problem with Warner being? No, that's list? fine. You're right. I, I've I've all of a sudden no, revisited it no, you in did. the last twenty seconds. No, you're seconds. not. You don't. You you don't want to say something. No, I swear to God, I've just revisited it. Do you know how? I mean. Warner Wolf was a superstar. I know. And went to New York from here and had a national career as a broadcaster. And then, you know, Tommy, when Glenn died um, in 1991, right? Or Jan- it was uh, early 1992, uh, Warner came back. I know. And, and it, it wasn't quite a success the not, second time. It was around. not. Yeah. I'm, su- I'm surprised you have Warner over Frank Herzog, though. Frank is somebody I would consider, too. I mean, Frank was, you know, most people don't know this about Frank who are Redskin fans. Frank called the Bullets championship. He was the Bullets play-by-play voice on WTOP in the 70s. And he called the 78 championship win over Seattle 
Interestingly, though, after that year, he left as the Bullets play-by-play guy, and Mel Proctor came in. Yes. And Mel Proctor took over, and I, th- I still think Mel Proctor is one of the real great play-by-play guys of all time. I mean, TV, radio didn't matter. He was phenomenal, but Herzog was great. I, I almost remember Frank um, from those days much more as the Bullets guy in the 70s because that's my youth, and I and you couldn't watch Bullets you know games. You not, had to listen to not them. Not Warner. Herzog, more than Warner. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, because he did play by play. Warner did play by play. He was the Senators' play by play guy on TV. You knew that, right? Uh yeah. On Channel Nine, he was the. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Well, I know he was. I don't know for how long, but those are Senators' teams that were horrible. You but, know, these are not my guys. I know they're not your guys. That's I why I grew up with uh, any of them. That's why typical of you, you don't, you know, you don't defer to the person that's got <laughs> sort of firsthand knowledge of it. You've got your own answers. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think I, I think well, Glenn and George are easy. Yes. Put them in whatever order you want to put them in. Personally, for me, it's Glenn and then George. I think Glenn Brenner is was the best ever, and I was a Brenner guy more than I was a George Michael guy. But you watched George. You you watched them all, and you had to watch the sports machine on Sunday nights, which yes. was a Revolutionary. True, true innovation yeah. um, in sports television. But Glenn was my one, and George's two, and then I just had Warner and Johnny there. But Rich Vodkin is, is, a, is an iconic, legendary voice in this town also. What about Mount Rushmore for sports talk radio in Washington? Well, what's funny about that is I was thinking, is there, Ken Beatrice would be the only guy, right? I mean, I mean, are you thinking about Andy? Andy's, Andy's been on radio longer than anybody in this town doing sports. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, he basically was part of the founding group of WTEM in 1992. Absolutely. Actually, he, he was part of the, uh, team that helped start WFAN. He was. I mean, the the where it all began with sports talk radio. But I love you, Andy. You know that, and so does Tom. I wouldn't put you on the Mount Rushmore. Of sports talk radio? Of sports talk radio? Sports talk radio. Well, Ken Beatrice is the only, I in my opinion, Ken Beatrice is the only true... And I, and I know that, that there's a whole group of you out there that don't even know who Ken Beatrice was. Ken Beatrice hosted a show called Sports Call on WMAL. And then eventually on TEM, too. He was a part of WTEM in the early days. But this was before Sports Talk Radio. And he did three hours every night. And if you were a Redskins fan or a Caps fan or a Bullets fan or, uh, you know, or, or a baseball fan, no baseball team back there, Back then, and you were really into sports, you listened to that show every night. Listen, I went to an event Monday night, and you know, I had people come up and talking to me. About the junk, the junkies would be, uh, I mean, uh, given their longevity, it's just twenty years. Yeah, but but it, but but you see, what about us? <laughs> God, what about us? You, is that where you were going? He, with that's this? the he whole point of this. Name. Not not even you. He just wanted his. That, name that's to the be whole on the point list. of this. What about us? <laughs> We had a great seven-year run together. You know why? Why wouldn't we and, be know, on that Mount you know Rushmore in, in this business? Seven years is a p- pretty good run. I mean, Andy, you know, and, you're, you're a little slow sometimes. <laughs> the whole point of this is to put us up there. I know, but and see, then everybody else, you know, see, people uh, just pe- fill them in. People that didn't know this already now, now know it for sure. You, it's always about you comes first. Oh, with course. you, I know. So I mean, like I tell people, people say, who do you root for? I say I root me, for me. me. <laughs> Andy and Steve did 13 years together. I think it was 13 years. Okay. That's a long run. 
In this business, we know that anything north of five years yes. is a hell of a run. I but, mean, it, it would be it would be a complicated list because, like you said, the junkies obviously have to be considered. Well, yeah, twenty because, years. Well, they they they're they're probably number one because yeah. of the longevity. Nobody's approached that no. longevity, but. You know, would you say that all 20 years have been sports talk radio for them or more what they've caught, what they call in the radio business, guy talk radio? That might be. That might I don't be. know. I would probably lump it all together and just carve out four little small faces on the side of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Four little small faces. Uh, or less, or or carve out one big composite. All right, so one you, big composite face so if you of say, all the junkies if together. If you say Beatrice the junkies. Uh-huh. And the sports reporters, yes. Andy and Zabe. Andy and Zabe. Who's number four? Well, obviously it's got to be us. Okay, I'm I'm done with this conversation. A <laughs> um, couple of people t- uh, tweet. Well, not a couple. Lots of people tweeted yes about yesterday's show, um, in which I disclosed that I've had conversations with people. This was not a this was not a Josh Norman reporting something. Just so you know, you don't know about this. I don't think. Well, you do. You probably saw it on Twitter, but you didn't listen to it. But I said that it's not out of the question that RG3 is going to get an opportunity to, to, to compete for a starting job next year in the NFL. His run this year in Baltimore has gone very well for him. This is a first-rate organization, the Ravens. So if you come out of that organization with Ozzie Newsom and Eric DaCosta and, and John Harbaugh saying, you can't go wrong by giving him a chance to compete for a job. It's not the same person that he was at 22, 23 years old. He may get a chance to compete for a job. So I was told that. And I was also told that the owner here in Washington, as you would say, is still very affectionate. What a shock. Has a lot of affection what for a, RG3. And what red, a surprise. And I think it's be, I, you know, there's a lot of privacy and it's probably because of the HIPAA laws or whatever regarding Alex Smith's injury. And we hope he's well. But I'm hearing that this is a long shot, him playing next year, or maybe even again. So they're going to have a need for quarterback. Let me be the. Let me say this for the first time. I don't think I've said it so far. I want them to draft a quarterback, but I also want them to look long and hard at the at the possibility of bringing Teddy Bridgewater to Washington. I've always been a Bridgewater How fan. How much are they going to wind up spending on quarterback, Kevin? I know it's hard. To get, I mean, you can't because you're going to be eating that Alex Smith contract and for you've a couple got, you've years. You got Colt McCoy. You got to pay next year you're, too. You're not paying a Colt McCoy next year. Really? Uh, are you? I is it his got, option? I is think it, guaranteed it is. Guaranteed for injury? Yes. Well, I he's going to be healthy by the time the season. Yeah, he'll starts. be healthy. But so I, I think, think they that, could. I, they got to pay him. I think. I, I don't know if they. Yeah, I, I'll look that up here. I, I mean, I, they they could be paying thirty million dollars to quarterbacks who aren't going to be playing next year. Would you put it past Snyder? Would you put it past him? No, no, absolutely to bring Griffin not. Back? And you know, what? I was surprised that people said to me, "You're out of your mind. It'll never happen." What well, you're you're smoking dope. I'm like, look, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I don't think it's the right thing to do. I'm just saying that it's within the realm of possibility. Let me just say this to make it clear: if we're talking about rooting for me, this <laughs> would be a big win. Yeah, a big win for Lavero. To have RG3 back as the quarterback for the Redskins. But if he has matured, like you say he has, or the word is that he has, then he wouldn't come play for the Redskins. He he would know that the pitfalls involved. If RG3 is smart and has matured, this is the last place he would want to play. 
Yeah. If he hasn't matured and he comes back here, it'll take four weeks before he's back to the old RG3. <laughs> Running the locker room, telling people about his relationship with the owner, tell, telling about how he went out to dinner with Dan the other night, how the limo's picking up his family and taking him to the airport. And, hey, uh, Coach, I can put in a good word for you. You're doing yeah. a good job. Yeah. Um, four weeks. Yeah. I'm looking up uh, Colt McCoy's. Um, forget it. No, I'm interested. No, in forget it. No, it. I'm interested. No, forget it. No, I'm not going to forget it. Don't make me come over to this desk. You, you, you better be careful <laughs> if you do. Uh, Colt McCoy in 2019. Right now, it's showing that he counts at three and a half million, but it's all base salary. It's three million in base salary. Okay. So I'm assuming that they can cut him. Um, and then they would owe him, they'd owe him a half million bucks. So I think he'd count a half million if he were on the roster next year. Uh, they've got, they, I think most Redskin fans realize now that we as a team are going to be in the market in the 2019 draft for a quarterback. You know, whether it's a first round selection or a second round selection, somewhere in the top three rounds, we're picking a quarterback, a young quarterback that they think has a chance to become the starting quarterback for the franchise. Now, here's I'm kind of curious. We we might differ on this a lot. 2019 is going to be uh, a train wreck. You know, it's just going to be a mess. It'll be an absolute disaster. Why would you want to bring in a new coach to be part of that disaster? Why not just pay the guy who, like Jay, to caretake over that disaster, to let him live through it, to punish him? Almost. Well, they for, made for the, being that. They, I mean, and and plus, look. The as, only as reason you as, would do that is because you don't want to pay two coaches simultaneously. It's not a healthy environment if you're bringing Jay Gruden back to just be the steward over you know a a, a season in which you're going to you know go four and twelve. But it's not a healthy environment to bring in a brand new coach. Sure. I want, especially one without NFL coach head coaching experience. I want if if you I want a new one, general manager. And have him pick That's, the new coach. You're right. You're you're absolutely. That's what right. I want. That that would be the smart thing. That would be the thing they're not going to do. <laughs> it's like such the default. That would be the smart thing, but of course that's not the thing they'll do. No, because I, I unlike you, we differ on this too. I don't think Bruce Allen's going anywhere. Everybody keeps telling me that, and I keep saying I just would be shocked. The only reason I think you have to bring him back if you're Dan Snyder is for some reason you don't feel like you are capable of being involved in managing the stadium deal, the next stadium deal. Real quickly, on our conversation the other day, the one thing we didn't mention that was mentioned to me, um, somebody that listened to our podcast and said to me, Surprised that you guys didn't pick up on this in the moment, but that story in the post was not good for Dan Snyder and the Redskins and the city for that for the stadium to to, to land. There. Oh yeah, that that was not supposed that to. That was out. an alarm bell. That was not supposed to get out. This was they're hoping to slip this stuff in through the end of the year. Yes, as part of the legislation with a Republican controlled uh, House. Right. Um, and that got blown up, and and that's why I think yesterday you saw much more about the Hogan stuff yeah. and the MGM site. Yeah. Um, and if that leak, it would just be another example, wouldn't it be? If that leak about that came from the Redskins, 
uh, you know, it probably did another though. dumbass thing. I, I know. I'm I'm thinking that uh, since Mike Debon Debonis was in on it, yeah, I'm thinking it probably came from somewhere on Capitol Explain Hill. Explain to me why he's the Capitol Hill reporter. Well, I, he's on the news side reporter. Yeah, okay. I don't know if he's a Capitol Hill, but he's a news side, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking that it probably came from the news side. Okay. So, uh, not not from the Redskins. I I I don't think that they would they would do that. All right, you want to do something on Bryce Harper? We've got an NFL power poll, which is your favorite thing to do. Um, and we're going to get to that <clears throat> in a moment. Let me tell you about Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. It's holiday time. If you're thinking about a new vehicle for a loved one or for yourself, uh, and you're thinking about a Chrysler or a Dodge or a Jeep, consider Farish, please. You won't go wrong. I, I've known Ralph Perkins and Kevin Farish for over 10 years. They're smart guys. They've got people there that have worked for them forever. They don't leave from Farish because it's such a great place to, to work. Their service team's first rate. Their sales team, most of those guys have been there for 20 years plus. If you ask for Ralph Perkins, you can call him or you can go out to Fairfax in uh, where they're located right there in the heart of Fairfax and ask for him. He will put you in touch with the best salesperson they have. Now, the opportunity right now between now and the end of the year is that they've got their highest rebates of the year. They've got a lot full of inventory that they want to move by January 1. That means a great deal opportunity for you. I was talking to Ralph over the weekend. He said, please emphasize that right now the best deals of the year exist on the Jeep Cherokee, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, and the Jeep Wrangler, and also uh, Ram pickups. And they've got a ton of Ram pickups on their lot right now. Uh, they're located, as I mentioned, right there in Fairfax Circle. Ask for Ralph Perkins when you get there. Tell him that I sent you. You can also find out everything Farish has right now, including live inventory and live pricing at FarishCars.com. Okay, I mentioned earlier that I had a chance earlier this morning before Tommy got in to interview Mike Loxley, uh, the head football coach at Maryland. Um, here's that interview. All right, let's welcome in new Maryland head coach, Mike Loxley. Uh, he's our guest here on the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. Back at Maryland after a few more games as Alabama's offensive coordinator. Coach, first of all, welcome back. Um, you know, I have spent years hearing from so many people around town uh, in the basketball community where I've spent a lot of time about uh, they, they know I'm a Maryland alum, they know I'm a Maryland guy, and they say, why not locks? Why not locks? And here, here you are. You've called it your dream job. Um, explain to people who haven't followed your career or even in recent years Maryland football why this is your dream job. Well, it starts, Kevin, with being – you know, growing up right here in the shadows of this place, man, you know, I am what you call a hometown homer, man. I grew up down in the southwest section of the city. Um, I played and went to high school at Baloo High. and I spent my formidable years roaming the parking lots of Coalfield House and at that time Bird Stadium uh, coming in to watch games in the mid-'80s, those Bobby Ross teams that were so dominant. And really, you know, growing up in D.C., we didn't have a – university like of the district of columbia that had football at the time so by nature man I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge i was a huge turp fan growing up and so when i got into this coaching business man i just always always thought of this as man if i could ever be the head coach at maryland that would be my dream and uh, anybody that knows me all of my friends that i grew up with and all the people in this coaching profession that have known me over the years knows that you know i have a soft spot in my heart for this place and 
when I got the opportunity to take it over, I mean, it, it, it was just a dream come true for me. You know, you and I probably were walking right by each other in the 80s because I was at Bird for every Bobby Ross, Boomer, Frank Reich, Stan Gelbaugh, Greg Hill, uh, you know, Rick Bedanek, Alvin Blount, Tommy Neal, all those games. And, and, And for all of Ralph's run here, too, which you were a part of, it is a different day to a certain degree because it's the Big Ten. It's not the ACC anymore. It's the Big Ten East. What can Maryland football be? Well, there's no doubt in my mind that we can be a team that competes for the eastern side of this division. I mean, this is one of the tougher. I mean, I'm just leaving the SEC West, which, in my opinion, is a tough division. But this Big Ten, this Big Ten East, is a really tough division as well. But here's the thing that gives me uh, hope, and, and 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 you know, our first year in the Big Ten, we went to Michigan and beat them at Michigan. Right. Uh, we went to Penn State, and for the first time in however many years beat Penn State at Penn State. You know, we beat Iowa here at home. So we've won some games in this league uh, in the last past few years. We just haven't put it together consistently. And to me, for us to compete for the Big Ten East, it starts with being able to control the the, the greatest asset we have at the University of Maryland, and that's the players in this area, the players in the DMV. If we keep the top guys in this area here at home, you know, we will be able to compete with anybody anywhere. And it was shown here this season when you watch the way those guys fought against Ohio State and some of the other games that they had even facing the adversity they faced this season. You know, you, uh, the recruiting area is incredibly fertile. I'm wondering, because you've lived it over the years, we've always known, those of us who are born and raised Washingtonians, we've always known what D.C. and the D.C. area has been, been as a basketball area. I mean, right. second to none. When did it really change, or when did football become so when did this area become such a prominent football recruiting area? I don't remember when it started to become super prominent it, 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 because it's really the, the last 20 years, right? Was it, was it that way before then? Yeah, I, I think there's always been great athletes. That's the thing, you know, growing up and playing at Baloo High School, I can think of a ton of big-time players that I played with or against in my league that actually – played at smaller colleges and smaller universities that, in my opinion now, as a coach and as an evaluator, there's no doubt in my mind that they were talented, talented enough to come here and play at Maryland. Right. I, didn't, I don't think we really ever saw this as a big-time football area, but we've always had just great skill and great athleticism, and a lot of it can be attributed to, to being a basketball area. Um, there's so many of those basketball players that would sure make big-time football <laughs> right. players if they were to play so um, I think it really came to fruition, you know, in the late 90s when, you know, we, we, we had a resurgence here at Maryland and, you know, the Sean Merrimans and the Vernon Davises, the E.J. Hendersons, the Leon Joes, Randy Starks, all these guys were homegrown DMV talent that uh, we were able to keep right here in our backyard and keep them here at home and basically put them on one team and we were able to win t- 10 games a year for three years in a row beat a big-time Tennessee team in the Peach Bowl, competed against Florida in the Orange Bowl. And so, again, man, this, this area is very fertile. You know, I look at the place that, I am, that I'm coaching the next couple of games at, and, you know, we've got guys committed from this area, and we have had big-time players down there from this area that if we were to keep those guys right here in our backyard, 
there's no doubt in my mind we can consistently build a winning program. I mean, just mentioning, you know, the 2001 Orange Bowl and the, and the Peach Bowl in Atlanta that year where you blew out Tennessee and the following year when we crushed West Virginia West in the Gator Bowl. Um, it just – I've always felt this way. I, I know what the potential is. And Bobby Ross and Ralph Friedgen were the last two coaches to sort of realize that because they were perennial. Maryland was a perennial top 25 team, a perennial bowl team team bowl winner under the, those two co- two coaches and and I think a lot of people are excited about what you can bring back as well on the basketball football thing um you know this cuz you're from here Maryland has been a basketball school over the years a basketball powerhouse at times is that a help or a hindrance to the football program I've always thought it's a help I mean anytime you have a winning program that's part of your university it's kind of like the front porch of your uh, university and athletics kind of serves as that front porch that opens up the, 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 the doors to the, to the big house. And uh, when you've got programs like our soccer program, we just won the national championship men's soccer, our basketball program, it just to me adds value to what we can do in this area, what we can do possibly in football if we can just control the most important asset we have in this area, that's big-time athletes, big-time football players, and get them to buy into that vision of uh, keeping it right here at home and doing it for your hometown team. All right. Uh, how much of repairing Maryland's image, Coach, in the wake of what's happened here over the last several months is part of your job moving forward? Well, it's a huge part of it. Number one, it's like I told the team, um, when you take over a job like I'm taking over here, uh, you inherit everything that's happened, good or bad, and it becomes your issue. So, you know, what I've tried to do here the last three or four days is get into the, the psyche of the of our players. I've met with probably 80%, 85% of the team individually here uh, the past four days and just really started on finding out where we are mentally where we are culturally as a team and and to a man i mean all these guys that we have in our program i feel like we've been able to stabilize our current team um you know we had some guys that maybe had had put put their name in the transfer portal uh we feel strong that we're not going to lose any of our guys uh from that and and now they're buying into what we're trying to uh, get done here but for me i think it's really important that um moving forward that we try to give everybody the opportunity. We bring in the right kind of guys and coaches to surround these guys with. Um, I told everyone on the team, everyone gets a clean slate, man. We're starting from ground zero. And what's happened here in the past, <clears throat> we can't change. But what we can do is is make things better. And, and that's what me and the staff that I bring in are going to try to do for these players is, is make things better. Mike Loxley is back at Maryland, and he is the head coach, uh, and the Terps have some talent uh, on the team, and he's going to bring in a lot more. Um, I think this is an obvious question, and you've probably been asked it a hundred times since getting this job. What are the most important things you'll take from Alabama and, and working for Nick Saban? Well, I think the first thing, and I've always said it, having spent three years behind the wall walls of that dynasty that Coach Saban has built, um, has shown me that the first thing that needs to happen is there needs to be an, an alignment between administration and then the program. And, and, and having spent time in talking to uh, Dr. Lowe, our president, and Damon Evans, our athletic director, 
you know, there is an alignment here that I feel everybody needs to be pulling in the right direction and the same direction to move this program forward. And I feel like we have that now. And uh, the next step is just consistency. You know, we don't talk a lot about winning at uh, Alabama. We talk about the process of winning. And to me, that's coming in, being very consistent with how you work, uh, giving things and maximizing every piece and every part of your program from off-season lifting to the classroom, maximizing yourself in the classroom, maximizing your time and efforts, you know, uh, as you prepare and we start getting prepared for spring practice. You know, the consistency, the effort in which how we go about doing things, uh, how we treat people, those are all the byproducts of, of what helps you win. And so if we can get really good at having a real strong culture of effort, toughness, uh, you know, respect amongst each other, the winning will come. Got a couple more for you, and then I'll let you run. I appreciate the time so much. What is your scheduling philosophy? You know, you got nine Big Ten games out of the 12. I think Syracuse is on the schedule next year, and then you get West Virginia back on the schedule. As a Maryland fan, I love that, uh, the home-and-home with West Virginia coming up. Um, Do you have uh, ideas or a philosophy on how you'd like to schedule your non-conference games? Yeah, you know, obviously with the nine uh, Big Ten games, that leaves you three games to to, to kind of play around with. And I'm big on the regional scheduling. I think anytime you can play teams in your region or teams that we've played in the past, um, I've been very happy with, you know, if I look, when you look at our future scheduling, I think administration has done a really good job of having a balance of the regional uh, opponents, Temple, West Virginia, uh, you know, programs like that as well as, uh, you know, some of the local schools. I know we play my alma mater or have played our, my alma mater, Towson, uh, here a couple years ago. So, you know, I feel really good about the, the approach we've taken to scheduling from an administration standpoint. We haven't sat down to talk about future scheduling because, as you know, this thing is right. already scheduled out for the most part for the next four to five years. So, uh, But I have been happy with the way that they've scheduled things. Settle an argument for me, uh, because I'm a big college football fan and and watched. I mean, it was impossible not to be able to watch every Alabama game this year. Who had the better defense, Mississippi State or LSU? Man, I'd say I'd say I'd say Mississippi State. Yeah. Um, you know, when I look back to both those games and having to call it against both of them, um, they both were really good up front. Uh, front seven. The thing that made Mississippi State a little different was. You know, uh, at LSU, they two-gap and play really physical, strong, keep, you know, two-gapping where you're holding up linemen, where Mississippi State moved a bunch. They were moving and planning and angling their D-line, and they have a really good scheme. But I I would say Mississippi State probably, as we prepared – was the team that probably gave us the biggest challenge. Yeah, I well, you just want to bet for me. But I, I, in watching that game, I thought it was the only time this year, in the second half of that game, where, you know, it, B- Bama looked mortal. Like, you guys offensively looked mortal. And if they, they just didn't have any offense. You know, they couldn't move the football offensively. But, <laughs> but the physicality of, of that game in particular this year, even I thought more than the LSU game, was incredible to watch in the second half. It was def- definitely a physical game. Now, I will say this. So this is a team that gave up nine touchdowns the whole season. Right. We scored three touchdowns in the first half. Yes, you did. Now, and we do play complimentary football. Uh, Tua wound up getting banged up in that game, and Jalen was unavailable. So we were very limited 
in the second half with Mac Jones and what we were going to do on offense. Right. So True. We, we, we were able to move the ball early in the game. And then once we got ahead, I was, you know, and, and having Tua injured and, and Jalen not available, I would say that we were also our own worst enemy in that game and that we were limited in how we could attack, much like what we did in the first half when Tua was available. But they by far, in my opinion, were the, was the toughest defense that we faced. Uh, this season. I want to go back to something else, uh, switching subjects, back to something you mentioned. You mentioned Ralph Friedgen a couple of times, um, right. and we and we mentioned that era. I, I've always felt like Ralph hasn't gotten his due as a brilliant offensive guy and a really good head coach. What, what, were you, what was it like to work for Ralph and to be on some of those teams? You know, I, I tell anybody that has ever talked to me, um, to this day, the the processes and the the practices and the the way that I approach game planning is all pseudo Ralph Friedgen. Um, I, literally, from the, the 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 reports that we use uh, in terms of our game analysis to the self scout reports to how I go about studying how to attack de- uh, off defenses from an offensive standpoint, these are all things I learned in my time serving under Ralph, and I've used these from that time forward. <laughs> as a coordinator everywhere I've been. So by far, my uh, offensive philosophy has uh, wrapped around my time with Ralph Friesen. He's had the most impact on me as a, a coach, a play caller, how to attack defenses, brilliant, brilliant play caller, brilliant, brilliant game planner. Um, and, and, and I've taken everything that I do based off of what I learned and how we did it here under Ralph. I do think that, I mean, the people in the football business, they know and respect Ralph as a offensive mind and as a play caller. I also feel like what he did here as a head coach uh, and because of his familiarity, much like mine, coming back home, having played here, having grown up and cut his teeth here, a lot of similarities. And I can, I can only hope that we can have a, a, a smidgen of the success like we had under Ralph uh, during my time here. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck uh, on the 29th um, in the semifinals and, and, and beyond that. Uh, it's so good to have you back at Maryland. I know, I know the, the, the alum base and Maryland football fans are excited about it. Can't wait to see it in action next year. Thanks so much for the, for the time, Coach. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin, for having me on. Thanks to Mike Loxley, the new head coach at Maryland. Uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, Tommy, you wanted to talk about Bryce Harper. Well, I wrote a column in the Washington Times. You could read my work in WashingtonTimes.com or follow me on Twitter and Facebook where I usually post this stuff that basically said that Mark Lerner, who is now the managing general partner of, of the Nationals, he took over as the head man when his father, Ted, Ted Lerner, stepped down last June. Uh, basically, he was insulted by, by uh, Scott Boris out at the winter meetings in Las Vegas. At least I think he was insulted. Uh, when Mark Lerner did the radio interview on 106.7 A Fan and didn't necessarily close the door on them con- you know, talking to Harper again, but gave a truthful, honest, and realistic viewpoint that, A, they made their offer that they feel comfortable with, that, B, Boris doesn't like to leave money on the table, so he's probably not going to give him a discount. And, uh, you know, C, he'll probably be able to get a lot more money out there than the learners might be willing to pay. All that is true. So basically, but he was not saying it's over. 
but that's the way it got interpreted. So uh, Boris reacted to it by basically accusing Lerner of breaking, of violating the uh, the labor agreement between players and management with his comments, which is a ridiculous assertion and not to be taken seriously. But more embarrassing and more insulting was basically he fluffed them off and he said, I usually deal with the father. Yeah. You know, that was an insult. And that's what I wrote. I said, Mark Lerner needs to, to pull Scott Boris into a room somewhere and say to him, don't you ever, ever insult me or embarrass me like that in public again. I'm the guy in charge now. You'll deal with me or you'll deal with no, or you can leave your messages at the switchboard from Mike Rizzo. That's what, that's what I wrote, basically. I mean, it's important for Mark Lerner to do that. I mean, because uh, th- if the perception is that Ted is st- that that Scott Boris can just go behind Mark Lerner's back, go to the old man like he does usually every winter, and come away from his Palm Springs home with some kind of huge contract for one of his players, then that 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 just makes Mark Lerner look bad. That's all. Look, I, I don't know how good of a, a of an owner Mark Lerner is going to be as the managing general partner and, and the head guy. Uh, but he needs to straighten Scott Boris out. It's bad judgment by Boris, who doesn't, you know, it, it, there's no win in doing what he did publicly to to submarine Mark Mark Lerner in that way. Unless, and, and, and unless, because unless he believes it's the truth. No, unless, but, unless but there's he still no benefit that, of, of saying that publicly. I know, but he's, uh, he can't help himself well, sometimes. He's so full of himself. And I'm not saying the, the, I'm not saying you know the who, national. Then you know who has to fix that? Ted's got to fix that. Well, Mark's got to fix it. Mark, uh, no, no, Mark has to fix it, but Ted has to also say, don't you ever, ever talk about Mark, my son, and the guy who's running this franchise that way, yeah. or we'll never deal with you yeah. again. I, I, You know, you're right. You're right. Ted, Ted sh- should speak up as well. But, it, it, I mean, it was an insult. He basically accused him of violating the labor agreement, and then he said he doesn't matter. Right. That's what he said. So where, that's all I wanted to say. Where's Harper going to end up? I think that the Dodgers. And, you know, look, I know this is bad form uh, because uh, we're all in the business of journalism. But there was a big story in the Washington Post today about the Dodgers and their possible interest in uh, Bryce Harper. I think this is where he's going to wind up. In that entire story, unless I missed it, and it's always possible, there's not one mention of Stan Kasten. Not one. one. One of the primary what reasons. Would his, what's his well, role? Well, he's, he's the president of I, the team. I, I understand that. He's one of the owners uh, of the Dodgers. He was the president and one of the owners of the Nationals when they drafted Bryce Harper here in 2010 and, has a re- and had, I don't know if he still has, had a good relationship with, with uh, the Harper family, particularly the father. Uh, how you can leave that out of a story about the Dodgers – interest in Bryce Harper I don't get I just that that that's a mistake right that that's a mistake and and you know uh, at one time in this business when there were editors an editor would have said hey what about Stan Caston you know doesn't he have some kind of role sounds in this? like you're playing editor right now yeah I know and I'll probably I, I, you know again you're gonna hear from anybody on this well, one I probably will and you know who? Look, who's gonna say who can, who's gonna say something to you I don't know <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Look, 
Haven't we gotten to the point, seriously, well, where... We, we don't care what they say about us. We don't care. Well, in your particular position. <laughs> in your particular position, what what do you care what anybody says about you, especially from the other newspaper? Well, who no, I like those people. On. I like those people. So do I. Who should have hired you as a columnist a long time ago, but apparently that ship has long <laughs> sailed. So what's the point? You don't that's, care. That's true, but they, these you don't people, have to tiptoe around this anymore. That's these people are friends of mine. I just, I know. but that just drives me nuts. How you how you can have that whole story and not mention that? There's a lot of reasons, other reasons, my own opinion why I think that he's going to wind up with the Dodgers that people will disagree about. Uh, that speak to the bigger issue of the of the competitive nature of attention, advertising, corporate sponsorship, all that. Uh, the L.A. market is more competitive than any place right now in the country. I mean, because the I mean, in the past two years, yeah. they've gotten two NFL teams. Well, they just they got the NFL times yeah. two. Yeah, in times two, and one of them is coached by uh, by a rock star. Yeah. And probably going to take play in the Super Bowl or at least play in the NFC title game. Uh, so you've got that to deal with. And you've got LeBron now in town playing for the Lakers. So the Dodgers need to respond to that. The Dodgers need to sort of respond to that. And I think that's going to be one of the contributing factors to their push to try to get Bryce Harper. Is that they, they need to stay relevant on the sports landscape of a place where you've got two NBA teams, two NFL teams uh, to well, compete with. There, There is, I know it's L.A., and I've said that well, here you're, in Washington. You're, you're missing the sometimes number two in that town, which is Southern Cal football. Yes, yes, absolutely. College I mean, it is, football. It, people from L.A. will say, you know, in, in many years, Southern Cal has been number two to the Lakers, ahead of the Dodgers, ahead of... Of the you know, clearly the Clippers and right. hockey and everything else. Pe- people don't take Angels. this into account, and I don't understand why, because they don't understand the business of media, particularly sports media. Other teams impact other teams, even though they don't play in the same sport. I guarantee you that the Phillies' push to sign Harper is in response, in part, to the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. I mean, there's a big, there's been a comp- competition for years between the Eagles and the Phillies front office. They don't like each other, and and there's competition for for sponsorship. That's never that's never happened in this town. Do you think? I, I, I tell you what, I think it happened this off season when you saw seventy thousand people downtown for watch parties for the Capitals, and then all of a sudden you saw an army of suits show up at Redskins Park. I think in part. Somebody looked at that and said, those people are not coming to see our games. Those people down there, they're not coming to see us. Yeah, but they've got to listen to the suits that showed up. Well, that's if different. If not, you're going you're gonna to have I, Bruce no, in a but, suit, uh, the same suit he's had on forever, <laughs> along with Jay Gruden. But I'm just it's pointing out that, that now, in this day and age, what other teams do affect teams. And other, I've always maintained that what's hurt the Orioles doesn't far matter more. Doubt. There, there are markets where it doesn't matter. I know. But, but what's hurt the Orioles far more than the Nationals the Ravens. has been the Ravens. Far worse. I, I don't. That makes sense to me because Baltimore is is a blue collar town with limited incomes, and those fans who are going to Ravens games not not as many as they used to, just like in in, in Washington, uh, have to make a decision as to where they're spending their money, as to where they're going to games. And for and for twelve years, uh, the Orioles were the only act in town. 
And that was when Camden Yards opened as well. So they did very well with it. But once the Ravens came, once the NFL returned to Baltimore and then won a Super Bowl in their fourth year there, that's what hurt the Orioles far more than a baseball team in Washington. You know, we are um, – the, the Ravens have now been in Baltimore 23 years, right? Am I 96 right? 96 was their 96. first year. So, so we're, we're at t- this is the 22nd year of, of, of Baltimore. How long were the Colts in Baltimore? Didn't they arrive in the 50s and then they left in 1983, right? 82? I I think probably almost 30 years. Yeah, so, I mean, you're almost coming up on on the same length of time for the Ravens in Baltimore as the Colts were in Baltimore. Yeah, you are. You know, I'm going to the Ravens game this Sunday. Really? Well, because the Redskins aren't home. (laughs) So I'm going to the – in part because uh, I'm I'm doing a column about the the New World Order for the NFL when it comes to ticketing – and trying to get people in the stands. The Ravens are doing a mobile phone offer to their fans where if, if you buy tickets over the phone, you know, like through, through this mobile app, you can get two tickets to the last two home games for 44 bucks, basically, to try to get millennials right. who the- do everything on their phone yeah. into the stadium. What they're also doing is for the first 25,000 fans who come to see them play Tampa, they're giving away scarves. The NFL doesn't do that. Scarves? Yeah. Baseball does this. Giveaways, bobbleheads, yeah. things, helmets, hats, things like that. The NFL does not do this. No, they've, ne- they've well, never now they, really had to do it. Well, yeah. now, now they've got – you know what the NFL has to do? They've got to start selling. What they used to do was they'd sold their season tickets and then they'd be done. Well – during during the Monday night loss to the Eagles, and then during the you know at one point when they were down forty to nothing, one of the ads was for a really good deal for the Eagles game. <laughs> you know, I mean the Redskins have advertised available tickets for the first time yes. ever. Well, the, the but, whole the whole gallery place Metro stop. By was the way, you pa- ju- pasted with 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 Redskin ads. You just reminded me of something. So on Sunday, the Redskins are on CBS Sunday right. at Jacksonville. It's a CBS game. Because it's a road game, Fox will have a 1 o'clock game. Now, they'll probably have Buccaneers-Ravens, right? Not Cowboys-Colts. Because I, I I was thinking as you were talking. It's not going to be Cowboys-Colts, i it, It'll probably be Bucks-Ravens. We usually get the Ravens game. You looking that up, Aaron? Do they yeah, be- I'm pulling it up now. It is it is the Tampa Bay-Baltimore game yeah. as the sole Fox game. Because if the Cowboys-Colts, if Baltimore was, let's just say, playing a night game or a right. 4 o'clock game, and you had Cowboys-Colts head-to-head yeah. with Redskins, the Cowboys-Colts could have may have outrated it yeah, on Sunday. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, I, I'm actually, I still haven't seen what the Chiefs-Ravens numbers were from last week. Uh, um, let me just let me just just circle back and and my 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 point is that the NFL is now finding themselves they've got to sell every day. Yeah, they sold they they sold their season tickets and then they'd be done. Well, that's not the way it's going to be done anymore. They're going to have to sell every game. Any way they can, every day. They've got to sell all the time. Tommy, in September, I was out at the park meeting with one of the new people, as you call them, the suits that they brought in. Um, and, you know, we were talking, he, he was, we were having a conversation about the team and what they had to do. And, and um, he said, he made the comment to me about, you know, uh, what do you think about us doing a deal with JFK? 
106.7 yeah. because and I said well you've, you've always provided them with significant help even more than 980 <laughs> but that's beside the point but I said to him I go look you you guys need to be nice to everybody you have a ticket selling problem you have an image problem every media outlet in this area you should be siding up next to I mean, you, you should be right there doing anything you can to promote your product. They're in that position now. They've never been in that position. No. They're in that position now. Yes, they are. They need help. But, you know, the arrogance over the years is that we don't need any of you people. We don't need you. And now they, I think there's some recognition. You know, obviously, Brian LaFamina came out, you know, before the season started and said, we've got tickets available. And when asked about it, he said, I just thought that if we had tickets available, we should tell people that we have tickets available, which they've never done in the past. Right. I, I don't know that that went over so well. No. <laughs> I'm hearing. No. I um, don't think so. Remember Bruce on that opening, that home opener for Indy, he went on T.O.P. and said the game was basically sold out. Yeah. I remember that. Look, Brian LaFamina, you, look, I, I think he's long, he, he's soon to be gone, but Brian LaFamina used the word transparency when he first met with reporters right. to introduce himself. That's not a word that exists at Redskins Park. Never has, and as long as Dan Snyder owns the team, it never will. I think there's some regret about the attempt to be transparent because I think that there's some thought that it hurt them this year with respect to live attendance at games. Yeah, I, I, well, it may Aftermarket, have Aftermarket, you know, It may have hurt sales, them, but, but, but you got to take your medicine. Yeah, I guess. Uh, all right. Uh, let me tell you about Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. Launch Workplaces is the spot if you live in Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Upper Northwest, and you don't want a long commute and you're working from home right now and it's too busy around the house with kids or dogs, etc. Um, I want you to check out new Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. They have beautiful new spaces uh, fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe, uh, free parking, 24-7 access. You can get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial, 240-800-6714. That's 240-800-6714 for an exclusive free two-day trial. Or you can just go to launchworkplaces.com today to find out more. Let's finish up the show with our NFL Power Poll. Rank them one to five. It's time for our weekly NFL Power Poll. All right, our top five in our NFL Power Poll, plus a couple of other teams to keep an eye on. Tommy, your top five. This is always like going to the dentist for me, but, yeah, I but I'll go ahead and do it. Number five, the Chicago Bears, who are probably going to clinch a postseason berth uh, when they beat the Packers on Sunday in, in, in Chicago. Uh, they, they've got a, a They'll clinch the division div on Sunday okay. with a win. Okay, yeah. they'll clinch the division with, with a win. Uh, number four, I'm going to say, are the Los Angeles Chargers. One of my favorite teams, and I am pulling for here because the number three team are the Los Angeles Rams. And what I am rooting for is a Los Angeles Rams-Chargers Super Bowl which would be absolutely a fabulous story, even though it would be in Atlanta. It, I mean, we've had, look, you had the Jets and the Giants in the same city. They never played each other in the Super Bowl. You had Oakland and San Francisco in basically the same market. They never played each other in the Super Bowl. You never had a situation like this before. 
So when, I, the, when the Rams and Raiders were both in L.A., they didn't play in right. the Super Bowl, even though simultaneously they had great teams, as the 49ers and Raiders yes. simultaneously had yeah. great teams. Yeah, there was opportunity, but it never happened. In fact, the, the Raiders, I'm going to say right now that the Raiders and the 49ers were in championship games with the opportunity to face each other in the Super Bowl multiple times. Well, the Redskins Raiders Super Bowl. The Redskins yeah. beat the 49ers yeah. in the NFC title game. Oh, yeah, the opportunities were there. I'm really rooting for that, uh, just just for the curiosity factor. And then uh, number uh, what number two, two are yeah. the Chiefs, and number one are the Saints. <laughs> okay, um, it's this is getting harder to do there for for a few almost a month, if not two months. It was like all right, Rams, Saints, Chiefs, pa- Patriots, basically. Right, but then a couple of teams started losing. It's getting harder um, on this top five, Tommy, because for a couple of months, I mean, the top three or four were absolute givens, and I and I think you could probably say the top three are still givens, even though I don't think the Chiefs are going to go to the Super Bowl. But my number five team, the Los Angeles Chargers, they play tonight against the Chiefs. No smell test uh, released tonight. I don't. Uh, the Chargers were close, and the under uh, was close tonight. People love the over tonight, but. And I would, pl- I may play the under uh, tonight. Uh, I think it's fifty three and a half, Aaron, right now 53, 53 and a half, something like that. But I, um, I don't have an official smell test release on the game tonight. But the Chargers are number five. But Tommy, there are a lot of teams for spots four, five, and just on the outside. I considered the Bears. They're, they should be considered. You know who should be considered right now for the top five? The Cowboys. I knew you were going to say that. Um, the Texans, even though they lost last week, I still think they're really good. Um, what about the Seahawks? The Seahawks, I've got written down here too, is a yeah. team that's really coming a on. A team you wouldn't want to play. I don't right think. Now. I, I think that's true. Um, but my number four team, I've got the New England Patriots still, and they lost last week on a crazy play. Uh, they're banged up, you know, here in in spots, but they're gonna win that division. They're gonna have a home game. And more likely than not, they're going to be in the AFC Championship game. Probably. Um, I don't, you know. But I think that's where it's going to end for and, them. And it'll probably be at Arrowhead or maybe even at Houston, which is a possibility. Uh, but I I think uh, I, I've got New England at, at four. I've got Casey at three. Uh, and then I've got the Rams still at two, even with the loss to the Bears. Um, they're not going to have to play the Bears at home. Uh, and I've got the Saints one. I, I'm sticking with the Rams. It, it may be crazy. You're sm- you're smarter than I right now in this because in just thinking about what they did to the Rams, I'm nuts not to have the Bears in my top five. I'm I, I am, but I they, they're good. You know, th- this whole offensive year, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out in the postseason yes, with it will. really good defensive teams this year too. Yeah, you know, in the AFC, Houston. Baltimore, if they if they get in in the NFC, Chicago definitely, and Dallas, yeah. both of whom will play a first round game at home, which will give them a chance to get into the divisional round at New Orleans and at LA. Uh, anyway, that's my top five teams to keep an eye on. Some of the teams we just mentioned: the Bears, the Cowboys, the Seahawks. I still think Houston's very dangerous. Um, keep an eye on Green Bay these final three games because really? if they win out. If they were to beat Chicago this weekend and win out, there's a chance for them to backdoor their way in, into a wild card game. And I'll tell you what, if you're the Bears or the Cowboys in that first round wild card weekend, 
you don't mind seeing Minnesota at this point come in. You don't mind seeing Washington come in somehow. If they were to back in with an 8-8 eight eight record, I don't expect it. Um, you probably would prefer Seattle over Aaron Rodgers coming to town for a playoff game. I think you would. I don't think so. I think I think Russell Wilson is a younger Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Aaron Rodgers never won a game throwing for 72 yards in a game, which is what happened Monday <laughs> night. I mean, it really – and Russell Wilson's had a lot of those games. He's a winning quarterback. He makes winning plays, and the winning play the other night after the, the botched uh, field goal uh, flag pickup was the 40-yard run. But he was 10 for 20 for 72 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, and a bad interception at the yeah. end of the first half, a terrible interception. Um uh, Aaron Rodgers is a bigger fear for teams game planning against him than than Russell Wilson, and I'm not I'm not minimizing Wilson, but Rodgers is probably right now, along with Mahomes in the New Orleans offense, the most difficult difficult guy to game plan for. What are you looking at me like that for? Are we going to discuss briefly before we go what's going to happen on Sunday? In oh yeah, what's your what's your I mean. God, I'm thinking about tomorrow. Am I really going to do a segment, Redskins beat Jaguars if? I've done it before at the end of years. We're Like I said, all week, we've been here before. Go ahead. What's your pick on this big game at Jacksonville Sunday? I think it's a beatdown. Yeah. I think it's an absolute beatdown. The Redskins will score 10 points. Jacksonville will probably score, let's say, 28, 14 of them on defense. Uh, you know, they've got – they're starting a new quarterback – uh, I think they've got a new offensive coordinator. Uh, and I just think they'll be licking their chops at the notion that Josh Johnson, who everyone got excited about uh, after the team was down 40 to nothing and came in and rallied them to do something, I just think that this is setting up for a beatdown that in some ways might be worse than the Giants game. I have the same sense. I mean, I'll, I'll make my official prediction on the show tomorrow, but the one thing that Jacksonville's been really good at at home this year has been defense. They shut out the Colts two weeks ago at home. Um, their home game prior to that, I believe, was Pittsburgh, and they had the Steelers shut out through three quarters. If they're interested, if they're actually engaged, like want to play defense – I'm afraid the Redskins may not score more than three or six points, like maybe two field goals in the game. Maybe Kessler will throw a bad ball, ball and we'll go three and out but kick a field goal, be in range. I don't see any way the Redskins can win this game if Jacksonville's interested. Right. If they've checked and out. I, but I think they will be interested because I think they'll be licking their chops at the, at the opportunity of going after Josh Johnson at quarterback. They've been excellent on defense at home in particular uh, recently. Uh, really good on defense. Okay, uh, enjoy the Ravens game on Sunday. Yeah. Um, the Ravens got, still have a chance to win that division. Yes, they do. They're only a half game out, and they've got an easy schedule ahead of them. Pittsburgh's got to play. But your boy got benched. Flacco officially benched. I know. You know, I um, I don't, th- I don't think he had a choice, but I still think – that this Tampa game is a game in which John Harbaugh can say, okay, we're playing another bad defensive team, another bad run defense. Right. And so I'm sticking with him. I'm going to make it official, but Joe's going to be the backup. They play the Chargers next weekend in L.A. on Saturday night. It's the Redskins-Tennessee play Saturday early, and then it's Ravens-Chargers Saturday night on the 22nd, I think that is. I think if 
Lamar Jackson once again can't do it throwing the football, I think I don't think it's dead yet. I think Flacco could still play against the Chargers or the Browns to end the season because those are the first two decent defensive teams the Ravens will have faced during this Jackson stretch. Remember, Jackson faced the Raiders, the Bengals, uh, the the Chiefs. Who who am I forgetting in this stretch that he's played? It's been one bad defensive team after another. Um, Bengals, Raiders, Falcons, Chiefs. Yeah, four horrific defensive teams in a row, and they've been able to move the ball by running it against these teams, and they should be able to run the ball against, against Tampa. Tampa. Yes, they should. And so, but the Chargers and the Browns, two different defensive teams to finish up the year, where he's going to have to make some throws for them to win. They've got to win two of the final three, I think, to basically I lock up the right. wild card. Um, and the Steelers have. You know, the Steelers right now have this weekend the Patriots and then they play at the Saints. Yeah. And so the 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 path to the division title is there for the Ravens. Yes, it is. Okay, have a good weekend. You too, boss. All right, thanks to Mike Loxley for giving uh, me time today. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to all of you. Have a great day.